Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Oh, hello there. Welcome. You betcha it is Downtown, the podcast. Rich Kimball here along with Carrie Haskell. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. From those aforementioned Zone Radio studios in Bangor, Maine, Good to have you here for episode number 249. As always, well, not always, as in most weeks, a couple of fine conversations for you. Second half of the podcast this week, comedian Josh Gondelman will talk with us about uh, filling in this coming weekend for Peter Sagal on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And we'll chat about that, his terrific podcast, That's Marvelous, and much more. Up first, though, one of our favorite people to talk to, a very talented actor who has been, my goodness, he's been uh, entertaining people since, well, the days of risky business. And, of course, through uh, a number of films and television shows like Revenge of the Nerds, where he will forever be remembered as Booger, his role as Herbert Viola on Moonlighting, and continues to work a whole lot uh, in the present day as well. He's also an author, a bibliophile, a, a music expert, and we caught up with Curtis Armstrong uh, not to talk about any projects he's got coming up, but to discuss, I guess, what we're calling artistic comfort foods, uh, the music, the books, the movies perhaps that you turn to to soothe your soul and uh, they comfort you in stressful times. And uh, and Curtis, as uh, we learned in our conversation, has, has had to deal with a few of those in the last couple of years. But uh, fascinating conversation, as always. Curtis Armstrong here on Downtown. Hi there, Curtis. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing very well. How are you, Rich? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, good to talk with you again. And likewise, it's been a while. It has indeed. So uh, since last we talked, you've, uh, you've moved to New York. What prompted that move? I, yeah, I have. Um it was a long time coming, I think. I used to live here uh, years ago, back in the 70s and uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, and my wife also lived here uh, around the same time, although we were not married then. And I just, you know, I, I never intended to move to Los Angeles. It just happened over time because I was working there so much. And when I did moonlighting, it became I, it was no longer an option. I had to live in, mm. in Los Angeles, so it just wound up happening that way. And then I just stayed there, and I liked it fine, but it was not like living here. And we reached the point where we just thought, uh, you know, it, we we'd be closer to our daughter who lives in London. Um, and we both just really love New York City, so um, we made a sudden move um, just last year. We just decided to do it. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's working out for you, and you uh, you got a chance to visit recently with your daughter, too, which is great. And that's right, yeah. She and her boyfriend came and stayed with us when we were first moving in here, and um, and she had come to visit us when we were in L.A. as well uh, towards the end because, of course, for her, that house in Los Angeles was the only place that she knew before she moved 
you know, went away to college. <clears throat> so, um, so, but having her here was really wonderful. She was able to help us get settled and just get accustomed to, you know, for her, it's going to be sort of a new life too. Yeah, I wanted to mention to you that I think last time you were on, uh, we we had John with author Scott Ryan, and we were talking about uh, his book on about, moonlighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, and uh, yeah, yeah he, 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 that wound up being very successful for him. Yeah, and that was a whole lot of fun talking about that. Uh, I'm wondering now, you had a well, at times a challenging relationship with Bruce Willis uh, back during the, the show. But what are your thoughts on the news uh, regarding his health that we've learned in, in recent oh, days? Well, it's a, you know, it's awful. Um, uh, you know, it was it, it was a difficult show. Everyone will say it. I mean, it was not it, it, that's not unique to me or anything. You know, I you know, I actually got on okay with with Bruce and Sybil for the most part, really. I, I mean, I, I think I say that in Scott's book. It's just that there was so much tension, you know, within the company and within between the two of them, you know, and of course I was very close with, uh, with Elise Beasley, whom I'm going to see this week. Actually. Oh, wonderful. Um, uh, we're going to have uh, dinner together this week here in New York. She lives here. Um, but, you know, this is a horrible disease, and uh, and I, I can't imagine what his family must have been going through and uh, and what he was going through. It's, it's terrible. I haven't seen him, uh, you know, socially since, I guess, since the show was canceled, so long time. But um, it's horrible. It's a horrible disease. We, uh, you and I have communicated a number of times through the years uh, on Twitter. And look, it had, its, it had its ups and downs. Certainly there were areas of Twitter that could be a real cesspool. But I, I also enjoyed the relationships, the friendships uh, that I've made on there through the years. And, and you had a wonderful post uh, back around the holidays about uh, uh, why you were staying there and the fact that you, you weren't going out looking for a new social media platform anytime soon? Not really. I mean, I, as much as I'm, I, I loathe what's going on there and the way that it's being run is uh, just awful. Um, but I, my fee and I'm not discounting the possibility of leaving Twitter also, but, um, but I haven't left it up till this point because there are just so many people whom I've, you know, I started that, I guess, I, I, I had no social media um, uh, presence, really, until King of the Nerds. Bobby Carradine and I um, um. were asked to join it uh, as part of our contract to do King of the Nerds, the TV show. And um, I didn't know what it was. I had no real interest in it. But then over the years... I've come to know a lot of wonderful people. I've come to follow a lot of wonderful people. Um, uh, it's just become, you know, despite all of the issues, I still have these relationships, and it's hard for me to think about about going through this whole process again uh, somewhere else. And what you know, what happens if it you know winds up 
it's not unheard of that that uh, you know there are other social media sites run by horrible people. So, <laughs> you know, I just I just at this point I'm being cautious about it and um, continuing to watch what happens and continuing to to follow what happens with the people I like and admire who are on the site. Um, I've, I've investigated other, uh, other places, but I haven't made that move yet. We're talking with Curtis Armstrong here on Dantum. Well, uh, the big topic of conversation I wanted to have with you today was uh, about uh, what I think of as uh, artistic comfort food, in a sense. Uh, those those things yeah. that we turn to uh, uh, to give us peace of mind, to soothe our soul. And uh, it could be anything. It could be books, music, movies, uh, works of art. Uh, what what are some of the places you go to that uh, that help you and make you feel a little more whole when you need that kind of nourishment? Well, it's really funny that you asked me this at this point, because really this is what I've been going through. Um, starting in December, uh, my, my, my wife and I have lost all four of our parents in the last two years. Mm. Uh, and her mother, who was the last living one, was dying in December. And this was another reason for us to move to the East Coast to be closer to her. And so the combination of all of this stuff of, uh, you know, coming, having come out of COVID, uh, but it's still being an issue. I don't believe it's over by any means. Um, uh, how that affected work, which was substantial, um, the the illness and death in the family, which had been ongoing, uh, and then once we made our move, even though we were happy to make the move, anyone will tell you um, that a that a move uh, is enormously stressful. And we were closing up a house we'd lived in for over thirty years, so. We were leaving a house. I didn't. It wasn't L.A. that I cared about so much, but I did care about the house. And to come here, you know, with nothing and basically start over again, there was a lot of stress. And I determined by mid-December, I have a lot of books, I have a lot of records, I have a lot of DVDs, uh, and I go back to these things frequently for soulless. Um, there are a certain number of them, types, titles that I return to over and over again for solace. And I made sure that I knew there was going to be a lot of stuff I would ha not have access to for a long stretch of time. So there were a couple of boxes that were, you know, I practically carried with me um, to make sure that I had them once I got to New York. Um, with me, books uh, are always going to be number one. Um, uh, and for me, it's mainly four authors. Uh, Washington Irving, mm. Arthur Conan Doyle, P.G. Woodhouse, and Charles Dickens. Those are my essential uh uh, authors whose books I've read and reread and reread. So for this move, I made sure that I had a uh, Dickens, 
which in this case was Nicholas Nickleby. <laughs> I had two wood houses. I had the complete Sherlock Holmes, the complete adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And I had, appropriately enough, uh, Irving's first book, a satirical book called The History of New York. Uh, so I had those with me and was reading. Now, this is in addition to, you know, reading books that I haven't read. These people, I've reread their books so many times. The Woodhouse and the Irving, I'm now rereading chronologically. I've read them so many times, I decided to see what it would be like to read them in chronological <laughs> order. Woodhouse wrote over 90 books. So this is an engagement over years I've committed to. And Dickens wrote substantially as well. So, so I had them with me at every moment from the time that we started packing to the time that I arrived in, in the apartment in, in New York with basically nothing else. Uh, those, those authors, the books in particular, Nicholas Nickleby, um, uh, was was it is one of my favorite of Dickens' books. Um, uh, History of New York. I'm always reading Washington Irving, no matter what. He's my favorite author. So, but having these by my side throughout this process was enormously comforting. And I would read, you know, a little bit of Woodhouse in the morning. I'd read some, read some Dickens in the afternoon, and before bed, some Irving. So, you know, I would just, uh, I would, I would go to them continually during the process. It was enormously helpful. When it comes to music, obviously, we've, you know, we've talked about the Beatles. Strangely enough, the Beatles didn't enter into it quite so much hmm. when it came to this kind of. Uh, you know, searching for comfort food, as you put it. The the uh, main thing for me was Bach, Johann Sebastian mm -hmm. Bach. And I've been, I mean, I've listened to him. Um, I mean, the, Bach has been my favorite classical composer for most of my life. And um, in particular, uh, I have the... Um, the uh, Well-Tempered Clavier, uh, which is uh, the series of uh, pieces written um, uh, and play, uh, written by Bach and played by Daniel Berenboim. And uh, there's, I think, four or five CDs of the Well-Tempered Clavier that I have, which are on constant play um, at, at tough times. I find it's just the piano, beautifully interpreted, uh, uh, Bach. Uh, I would start every day listening to that. Now, in the evening, I would go to Louis Armstrong. I would go to the Beatles. I would go to, um, to uh, some other jazz occasionally, too. Um, but, I, but those were... Um, those were the essentials. Uh, I would say Bach, Louis Armstrong, and uh, the Beatles. Interesting, too, and whether it's books or, or whether it's music or films, 
I, I think for me at least quite often it involves things that I've enjoyed ever since I was a kid. And, and part of that is is that, I guess, sense memory of, of where you were when you first fell in love with those works. But I also found, as I'm sure you do, that it doesn't matter how many times I reread a favorite book or listen to a favorite piece of music, that I, I always discover new things. Yeah, that's definitely true. And in fact, I was uh, thinking about it the other day. I was, uh, I'm preparing a paper, actually, on Sherlock Holmes, and I was rereading um, the first two novels, uh, Study in Scarlet and Sign of the Four. And uh, it is so interesting to me because a lot of, I, I, I can't count the number of times I've read these books. And my, a lot of uh, even hardcore Sherlockians have not much of an appetite for Study in Scarlet because there's an extended flashback in it that has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes that is sort of the origin story of how you get to to uh, the murder that, that brings Sherlock Holmes into it um, that takes place years earlier with Mormons on their way to the Promised Land. And it's it's rough sledding. Um, and and it's a it's a section that is several chapters long that a lot of Sherlockians just skip uh, once they've read it once because it's you know not great. Um, and yet, I have found in this last uh, couple of rereads that I've done of studying Scarlet that uh, that my feelings about it have changed. And I don't have the same feeling that I have about it when I was a kid. I actually find it more interesting as an adult. And uh, the the opposite with um, with the sign of the four, uh, which was always one. It's a very sort of gaudy uh, uh, story in a lot of ways, which I always used to love as a kid. And now, you know, um, I, I don't have the same unconditional love for it that I did when I was a kid. Um, Doyle and Woodhouse in particular are, are authors that I was, that I first discovered when I was 10, 10 or 11 and living overseas. And um, my feeling about their writing has gone through multiple changes over the years. But one thing I always know is no matter what happens uh, it will it will comfort me when I read it. It doesn't mean that it's that it's you know light particularly. It's expert writing. I mean, it's both Woodhouse and Doyle were extremely good writers, each very different. Um, but um, I, I I always um, go back to them and always. Always love them. Strangely enough, when I was young, uh, comfort food when it came to movies tended to be uh, classic horror films <laughs> um, and uh, like Warner Brothers Bogart movies, gangster movies. Oh, I, I they're high on my list. If I uh, yeah, if I need yeah. that a little rejuvenation, I want to see something in black and white, and, and preferably something in the film noir genre. Yeah, that was a big thing for me growing up, and still I love watching Bogart movies, but when it comes 
specifically to this idea of of going to something for comfort. Um, while that used to be the case for me with those movies, and so it's you know mainly Universal and Warner Brothers from the 30s and 40s, um, it's uh, it isn't as much anymore. Um, it goes to reading and listening more. Um, the only television uh, there there are a few television uh, shows which I return to constantly. Um, X-Files is one uh, which I come back to uh, very often. In fact, we started re-watching it here um, just a, a week or so ago. So uh, X-Files is one that, that would be a big, you know, comfort food for me. But the number one one, uh, as anyone who follows me on social media would know, would be Parks and Recreation, right. which is, for me, I again, I only discovered it after it was done. I, I never watched it when it was on. And uh, I've basically been watching it ever since. We're talking with Curtis Armstrong here on Downtown. When it comes to books, uh, what is it, because I, I see this as a, as a school teacher, I'll talk to a lot of high school age students who, who don't read much fiction. And I'm always a bit surprised at that um, because that's, as a young reader, that's what fired my imagination. And while I liked histories and nonfiction, they couldn't take me to the places that fiction could. Yeah, well, I think uh, since you mentioned that, I think that that's probably true specifically when when it comes to the kind of thing you're asking about, because fiction does take you to another place. I read when I'm not, uh, you know, and I, these are not the only things I read, um, but but uh, so when I read. Um, you know, sort of n new books, or I, I tend to not reread a lot except for these people that I've already mentioned, um, that um, in a lot of ways it tends to be nonfiction. I, I, I'm reading about three nonfiction books right now, uh, which have nothing to do um that that are are I'm finding intriguing. They happen to be about different aspects about New York. Um, so um, so I've been I've been enjoying those. But I love reading uh, I love reading histories. I love reading biographies and autobiographies about people who interest me. Um, a lot of my reading time is taken up with that. I, once in a while, will stumble on a, a new book that, that sort of joins that list of books that I have to go back and revisit. And one I first read a couple of years ago, and I've, I've read it three times now. And I think it's because I don't know all that much about the subject, but it's, I don't know if you've read it, Katie Mack's wonderful book, The End of Everything, Astrophysically mm. Speaking, where she talks about the different options for the death of the universe, which you wouldn't think would be something you want to go back and revisit, but it is, in its own way, very, very funny and, and very philosophical. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I'm not familiar with that book, but, but you know, they it, it, things just strike you. Um, uh, uh, there, there was, uh, 
but now you've got me thinking about about other things. There was actually a book that I discovered uh, years and years ago, which I've read now three times, called Ravens in Winter by Bernd Heinrich, who is a, a, a naturalist. And it is literally, a he goes into the woods um, in the middle of winter and studies ravens hmm. for, for months. And it's his account of this. Why this would I would find this in, so intriguing? I don't know, but I it's another one of the books that I made sure that I brought with me because every once in a while I love taking it down and reading it again. Uh, there's another great one uh, which you know sort of goes back to my part of the country, which is called Ghost Ships of the Great Lakes, which I've now read twice, um, which is about exactly what the title says by uh, Dwight Boyer. Um, that's another one. Um, uh, I've been rereading uh, Joan Didion's uh, essay collections. Uh, so, you know, that's, a, that's another side to it. Uh, the, there's a wonderful book about Zabar's, the grocery store in New York, <laughs> written by a member of the family, the Zabar family, which I read last year and just fell in love with. And I've now been giving copies out to people because it's technically about the store, but it's also about the area of New York where I happen to have moved. So it, 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 it's a, uh, it, it takes me to a lot of places and uh, food in New York are two of the big ones. Have you read, speaking of that, as, as you were talking, it made me think of it. Uh, have you ever read uh, the wonderful book? I think it was first out back in the 70s, The Power Broker about Robert Moses. Oh, this is, uh, it's amazing that you mentioned that. I actually, because A, I'm in the middle of his his four-volume book on Lyndon Johnson. Mm. Uh, I'm actually in the middle of the third book of that. I had never read The Power Broker, but... Just a couple of weeks ago, when my daughter was here, we went to the uh, New York Historical Society, and there's an exhibit there on Robert Caro and and his archives, which they have. So I just saw it, and I was going to buy a copy of The Power Broker, because I do really want to read that, but I've just not got the time to focus on it yet, so I'm holding off. But I'm, I'm right into Robert Carroll. Another one who I'm an author getting back into fiction in a very different tone is Mick Herron, who wrote the Slough House books. And there's a series that they're, they're doing of it now. Um, it's a spy series that takes place in London, um, a, a group of spies who work for MI5. Yeah, I, I love the series. they up being stuck in this one place where they have to try to redeem themselves. And I've been eating those up. <laughs> I love it. Well, like, Curtis, it's it's so wonderful to talk with you. By the way, and I read, I think I posted it on, on social media, I reread your memoir, and it was a wonderful ride to go back and and visit that again, and I still uh, very much enjoy going back. Whenever anyone 
writes anything, posts anything about uh, P.G. Woodhouse, I go back and revisit a plum assignment as well and your wonderful collection of, of writings on oh, him, thank too. thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to catch up with you. Welcome back to the East Coast. Has Obviously, New York has changed a little bit since you were a resident there last, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I have to say for the better, if anything. Yeah. Well, if you were there in the <laughs> in the late in the 70s, 70s yeah. believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, I would pass through quickly uh, when I was uh, a young man in my teens and early 20s going through. It uh, definitely is better now than it was back then. Well, I wish you yeah. well uh, in the new locale and and hope you get settled in nicely and uh, hopes here, even though we're we're a little bit into 2023, my hopes for a, a very good rest of the year for you. Thank you, and you too. Well, I love talking to him. He's such an interesting guy, the multi-talented and always interesting. Curtis Armstrong with us on Downtown. We'll take a break uh, for a word from our friends at Cross Insurance and come back with comedian Josh Gondelman next. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. part, uh, especially if you're waiting for Peter Sagal to head out on paternity leave. I mean, he's he's an older man, but that time has come. He'll be stepping away and has been away for a while from his job as the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Our friend Josh Gondelman will be filling in for him this coming weekend. We talked about that, his wonderful newsletter, That's Marvelous, and more. Here's comedian Josh Gondelman on downtown. Hello, Rich. So nice to chat with you. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. How are things in your world? Uh, I'm doing all right. Thank you. It's been a lot of travel for stand-up lately, but in uh, in February, I've had a lot of time at home in Brooklyn with my wife and our elderly pug, as you know. Well, we're glad that you, uh, you know, get some, especially some busy time. You got to have some quality time with busy. Oh, yeah. We have some real quality time. She's always up for a nap. Uh, she she likes a snack, a short walk, many of my favorite pastimes. Now, how old is Busy? About what, 13? She is 15 and a half. Oh, my goodness. I know. She is, uh, she's as much pillow as dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll appreciate this. Now, my dog is about to turn 12, but but she's got the attitude of a much older lady, and we, uh, we were dog-sitting for friends for a few days uh, over the weekend, and uh, and Ginger, our girl, gets along with the other dog pretty well, but I don't think she slept in three days because she made it her mission to follow the other dog 
everywhere he went in the house to make sure that he was uh, apparently treating our house properly. And when he sure. he left yesterday and Ginger slept for about 14 straight hours. <laughs> that is kind of busy's every day. It's 14 <laughs> straight hours of sleep. That's her M.O. Oh, that's so funny. Amazing. Well, let's talk about a big thing that's coming up for you. We're so excited about this. You're going to be filling in for Peter Sagal as the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday the 2nd? Yeah, um, yes, that's right. I'm recording uh, Thursday the 2nd in Chicago, and then it will air the uh, 4th and 5th that weekend, Saturday the 4th, Sunday the 5th on NPR. I'm so excited. Peter um, and his wife had a new baby. I think she did most of the heavy lifting. And <laughs> so they've been rotating guest hosts. And it's, it's really exciting to be in the in that mix. It's been so many people that I love. I, um, Alza Slade and Tom Papa and Nagin Farsad and Karen Chi. I think there might be somebody I'm missing. But, like, all like some of my favorite people. And so it's so fun to be to get to have a week where I'm I'm hosting and everyone I mean their stuff is so lovely and I'm going out to Chicago for most of the week next week to like be a part of the writers meetings and I'm just really psyched. That is so cool. Now did, did Peter offer any advice to you? He did. He's so generous with his time. When he we had such a nice phone call before my first time as a panelist and he was so generous before he went on leave. We had the, probably a 20, 30 minute phone call. And he said, he, he was really kind about saying, you know, make it your own. You don't have to try to do an impression of me. You're in good hands. It's like very, very reassuring, you know, because I think and he's so kind to do it. And he, because he's such a great host and I appreciate him so much that I think it could easily have gone, you know, like, don't get too comfortable in this chair, you little <laughs> twist, you know? So it's, I, uh, but that's not what he's like at all. He's like su such a, a generous host and, and was so helpful to me thinking about like how I would approach it. That's fantastic. Do you know who the guest is yet? I do. I can't say. Okay. It is someone who is like a, a person I'm very intimidated to talk to on the phone. Oh, boy. Yeah. Really someone like, um, and, and so many of the guests, you know, I've been on with, with people that I know in, in real life. And, and so that's always very fun and comfortable. And then I've been on with people that I admire a great deal. I was on last week and Rosie Perez was the guest and, um, and she's obviously so talented and accomplished, but this person is like next level. There's like a, a gravitas to this guest that I am like very thrilled and intimidated by. <laughs> Well, and, and speaking of Gravitas, the, the guy who'll be there with you, Bill Curtis, uh, we had him on the show about a year and a half, two years ago, and, God, he was so much fun to talk with, and he recorded some promos for our show, and every time they come on, I just snap to attention because he's still got that amazing voice. Incredible voice, and he's so funny and, like, really uh, a pleasure to work with, but, yeah, he has a real commanding presence on, on, on the air. And uh, it's it's like so funny because we when guests call in, um, you know the the not my job interview guest when people hear him chime in for the first time, I think they really snap to mm. attention too. <laughs> We're talking with Josh Gondelman here on Downtown. Want to talk about uh, your newsletter? That's marvelous, which is is so wonderful and, and such a, a ray of light every time it shows up in the inbox. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of felt between projects after I. Um, Jesus and Merrill ended where I was 
I'd been the head writer for the last season and that wrapped up last summer. Uh, and then I had another little writing job for something that's going to come out this year. And I, I kind of felt like I was between projects and I wanted something to keep me accountable to like publish writing frequently. So I started this newsletter that is, uh, it's a way to kind of just flex the writing muscles and write pep talks in a little longer form than I am customarily would do on Twitter. You know, I have customarily done on Twitter. And it's also kind of a way to sneak in like a mailing list for my stand-up dates and if I'm appearing on podcasts and publishing stuff. So it's like a nice clearinghouse for that, that gets me into people's inbox, but hopefully it's free and hopefully people enjoy it on Monday mornings and then are excited. Oh, I'm coming to your town or I've got a new stand-up uh, clip that I posted that you can watch here. And and so I hope it's like a, a win-win across the board. Well, it sure is. You can go to Substack and just type in Josh Gondelman and subscribe right there. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, do people ever ask you, Josh, are you really that positive, that upbeat, that enthusiastic in real life? I, I don't usually get a question, but occasionally it'll be someone I'll, I'll know for years and they'll uh, they'll finally feel comfortable to say, like, you know, when I first met you all those years ago, I did not trust your general vibe. And then <laughs> over the years, I've come to learn that it is genuine. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, you oh, mentioned touring. When do you head back out on the road again? I'm um, setting up another batch of dates. My goal is to tighten up this new hour that I've been working on. I've done probably 17 or 18 cities since September, which is a lot for me. I've been mostly off the road or occasional dates for the last couple of years. And so I went out pretty heavy uh, in the fall and early winter, and it was a really amazing run. I had so much fun, and people were so cool and just a really great time. And so I'm hoping to, like, tighten up this hour and film it sometime later this year and, and put it out. So I'm like waiting for some new dates to fall into place, but I know there are some places that people have been waiting for me to get to. And so I'm like excited to fill that calendar back up. Well, I hope you but can it, get, it, hope you can get oh, back here to Maine. We'd love to have you I back here. I would love that. It's been, I mean, I was in Bar Harbor very briefly on kind of short notice and that was really fun, but I, I like love traveling to Maine and, and it's been, that was my first time in years. Uh, and everybody, this was so funny. I don't know if you said it to me, but people there definitely said, it. oh, you know, it's been so long since I've been to Maine. And people go, oh, that's not Maine. That's Bar Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it is. It is certainly a different part. We, there are like three Maines. There's, uh, yeah. the, there's that area in the summertime. Uh, up here in the more central part of the state, we even look at Portland as not really quite Maine, more sure. of a suburb of Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically North Shore, Boston. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Might as well be Danvers, Massachusetts. Exactly. By the way, can I say, you make a fine, a stunning Richard Gere. <laughs> Thank you. That was really fun. Uh, my friend Michael Schulman just put out a new book. I think it's called Oscar Wars. Um, it's, it's all about the history of the Oscars, and he's an incredible writer, um, he wrote that incredible profile of Jeremy Strong a couple of years ago. Yeah, years oh, ago. that was great. For the New Yorker. Yeah, he's a really great writer. And so he and, and another friend, Rachel Schuchert, who um, was a, a writer and producer on Babysitter's Club for Netflix, they do the show called You Like Me. And it's just um, 15 or so performers doing award speeches, like verbatim, celebrity award <laughs> speeches. So. Uh, it was so fun. I was really, really nervous. It took because uh, I'm not a big 
theater for, you know, I perform live so much, but it's so rare that I have to remember an extensive monologue as someone else where it's, it's not just the words, but it's kind of an imitation uh, of the cadence. And, you know, so it was really thrilling and it was so fun. The, the lineup was amazing. Jackie Hoffman and um, Tavi Gevinson did a, the famous Jodie Foster Lifetime Achievement Award speech from the Golden Globes. And um, Michael, uh, Michael R. Jackson, who wrote A Strange Loop, did um, wow. the Fiona Apple MTV Music Awards, <laughs> which is very legendary. And uh, it was really, really, really fun. I love it. Uh, what about People Pleaser? Where can people find that now if they haven't seen it yet or want to see it again? It is. On, if you are a Prime member, Amazon Prime member, it is for free for sure there. And I believe everywhere it's free, or for everyone, it's free on to be now, but I don't know if there's ads on that. I should really check. But it, it's available worldwide for rent on like Vimeo and YouTube and a lot of places. But definitely, if you're in the United States, which um, all parts of Maine qualify as that. Yes, mostly. Um, that yes, <laughs> technically. <laughs> um, then you can find it, and you're a Prime member. You can get it for free there or to be. Well, it's great. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out, People Pleaser, and be listening on the 4th to a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with Josh more than capably filling the shoes of Peter Sagal. Can't wait to hear it. We wish you uh, well and great success with that and everything else you got going. Look forward to seeing those tour dates, and hopefully we can get you back in, in any part of the state of Maine. Thank you. I hope to get back soon. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always such a pleasure to catch up. Josh Gondelman, this weekend, catch him on Wait, Wait, don't tell me if you see him out on tour make sure you make plans to go and see him in person watch his great special people pleaser as well our thanks to josh and thanks to the wonderful curtis armstrong and to you for joining us we'll see you next time right here on downtown the podcast